Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I pray that you are well. And um, uh, we are uh, no, we are going to celebrate today with you the Feast of St. Therese of Lisieux, the Feast of St. Therese of the Little Flower. She is of the, of the Holy Face. She loved all of that. She loves, she's the, the, she is the saint of, of the little way, and we are Benedictines, and it is the little rule for beginners. And uh, as we mentioned in our previous newsletter, which most of you have gotten in the mail by now, you've certainly got the email version, and the mail version you probably already received last week, and if not, we send it out bulk mail, you'll have it very soon. We have an interview in there with Father Dwight Longenecker, who is an oblate, a Benedictine oblate, and has written many wonderful books. And he wrote a book on uh, the little, uh, the little rule and the little way, putting together Saint Benedict and Saint Therese of Lisieux. The little rule and the little way, always for beginners. Every day, Saint Francis de Sales, one of our four patrons, says, "Every day we begin again." And St. Therese of Lisieux, who you know uh, as a Carmelite, died at the age of 24, is the patron of world missions, the patron of priests, and the saint of the little way, which means that every one of us can do it. The little way. We begin again each day. We never give up. I'm going to read you a very short biography of St. Therese as we celebrate her feast day. Um, It is... um, she lived from 1873 to 1897, 73 to 97. She was a French Catholic who became a Carmelite nun at an early age. I don't know if you, uh, this doesn't tell the whole story, but it, they wouldn't allow her into the convent at age 15, so she went to the Pope. Um, it's a fabulous story, but she did. they did let her in, and she died in obscurity at the age of 24. There was nothing striking about her. Zero, 24, died, spent her life in bed, her later years, rather. However, after her death, her autobiography, which is Story of a Soul, and that, beloved, I was given by a holy priest to read on my journey to the church. The Story of a Soul was published and became a bestseller around the world. Her books explained her spiritual path of love and selflessness, And she became one of only three females to be considered a doctor of the Catholic Church. Isn't that amazing? Dying at the age of 24, uh, spending her last few years completely in bed, and she died at the age of 24. Now, I'm going to go on with this very short bio. It says, from an early age, it was Teresa's ambition and desire to be a saint. She was born into a pious and loving Catholic family. She remembers the idol of her early childhood, spending time with her parents and five sisters in the unspoilt French 
countryside. However, this early childhood idol was broken by the early death of her mother. From Her mother died from breast cancer. Aged only four years old, St. Therese felt the pain of separation and instinctively turned to the Virgin Mary for comfort and reassurance. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Beloved, if all our children from age, from the womb on, could be taught about God and our Lord Jesus and the Blessed Mother and their faith. You see, here's a mother that died when Therese was four, and she turned for comfort instinctively to the Blessed Virgin. The next couple of years of St. Therese's life was a period of inner turmoil. She was unhappy at school, where her natural precociousness and piety made other school children jealous. How do you like that? Be holy and they'll be jealous of you. (laughs) Eventually, her father agreed for Therese to return home and be taught by her elder sister, Celine. You see, that's the best way. She enjoyed being taught at home. However, after a while, her eldest sister decided to leave home and enter the the local Carmel convent at Lezoux. This made Therese feel like she had lost her second mother. Shortly afterwards, Therese experienced a painful illness in which she suffered delusions. The doctors were at a loss as to the cause. For three weeks, she suffered from a high fever, Eventually, Therese felt completely healed after her sisters placed a statue of the Virgin Mary at the foot of her bed. Therese felt her health and mental state returned to normal very quickly. Soon after, on Christmas Eve, 1884, she recounts having a remarkable conversation of spirit. She says she lost her inclination to please herself with her own desires. Instead, she felt a burning desire to pray for the souls of others and forget herself. She says that on this day, she lost her childhood immaturity and felt a very strong calling to enter the convent at the unprecedented early age of 15. Now, if you know the life of St. Therese, you know this is, this is excluding some very beautiful and precious facts. When Therese was pierced through her heart um, to mature and to leave the things of her childhood, um, it was, I think, Christmas Eve, um, and she heard the conversation of her parents uh, continuing to buy Therese childish gifts, and Therese said, this is it. This is the last time I will no longer be a child. Just an absolute act of her will. St. Therese was drawn, um, let's see, she was drawn to pray for sinners. Although her father tried to keep newspapers out of the house, she became aware of the notorious, unrepentant killer, Henri Pranzini, who was due to be executed in 1887. Therese prayed for his last-minute conversion and was able to read in the newspaper of his last-minute grab for a crucifix as he approached the scaffold. He kissed the wounds of Jesus three times before being guillotined. 
Initially, the church authorities refused. This is concerning her audience with the Holy Father. Initially, the church authorities refused to allow a girl who was so young to enter holy orders. They advised her to come back when she was 21 and grown up. However, Therese's mind was made up. She could not bear to wait. She felt God was calling her to enter the cloistered life. Therese was so determined, she traveled to the Vatican to personally petition the Pope. Breaking protocol, she spoke to the Pope, asking for permission to enter a convent. Slightly taken aback, Pope Leo XIII replied, Well, my child, do what the superiors decide, end quote. Soon after, her heart's desire was fulfilled, and she was able to join her two sisters in the Carmelite convent of Lisieux. One of Therese's quotes was, Our fulcrum is God, our lever, prayer, prayer which burns with love. With that we can lift the world. And it goes on to say that convent life was not without its hardship. It was cold, and accommodation was basic. Not all sisters warmed to this 15-year-old girl. At times, she became the subject of gossip, and one of her superiors took a very harsh attitude to this young, quote, spoiled middle-class girl, end quote. However, Therese sought always to respond to criticism and gossip with the attitude of love. No matter what others said, Therese responded by denying her sense of ego. Eventually, the nun who had criticized Therese so much said, quote, Why do you always smile at me? Why are you always so kind even when I treat you badly? You see? And I remember watching the film of Therese with this. Therese looked at her and said, Because I love you. The numb could never understand. How could anyone love me? Especially when I've treated them so poorly. And here's a quote from Therese. Love attracts love. Mine rushes forth, M-I-N-E, my love rushes forth unto thee. It would fain fill up the abyss which attracts it. But alas, it is not even as one drop of dew lost in the ocean. To love thee... God, as thou lovest me, I must borrow. <coughs> Use me. To love thee, O Lord, as thou lovest me, I must borrow thy very love. Then only can I find rest. You see, beloved, the only thing we can give to God is to give him back what he's given us. This was the little way which Therese sought to follow. Her philosophy was that what was important was not doing great works, but doing little things with the power of love. That sounds like Mother Teresa. Doing little things with great love. She got it from St. Therese of Lisieux. Um, she believed that if we can maintain the right attitude, she, St. Therese, believed that if we can maintain the right attitude then nothing shall remain that cannot be accomplished. You see, it's our attitude. If we focus on God's love for us, the fact that he died for us 
while we were still sinners, while we cursed him and spit on him and put nails through him. You see? Therese had the ambition to become a missionary and travel to Africa or China. However, ill health curtailed these plans, and she was forced to stay in the convent. And toward the end of her life, when she was increasingly bedridden, St. Therese was encouraged by the elder nuns to write down her way of spiritual practice. She wrote three books that explained her little way and included her personal spiritual autobiography, which is story of a soul. Here's another quote from St. Therese. Quote, the good God does not need years to accomplish his work of love in a soul. One ray from his heart can, in an instant, make his flower bloom for eternity. You see that, beloved? I, I love that quote. I'm going to read it again. The good God does not need years to accomplish his work of love in a soul. One ray from his heart can, in an instant, make his flower bloom for eternity. That's you. That's me. In an instant, he can penetrate our hearts, turn our lives around, and make us love him beyond measure, and live for him and be his instrument through all eternity. St. Therese died tragically early at the age of 24 from tuberculosis. However, after her death, the writings became avidly read by first other nuns, then the wider Catholic community. Although initially intended only for a small audience, her books have frequently been republished. In 1997, St. Therese was declared one of the one of the only three female doctors of the Catholic Church. There are 33 doctors of the Church in total, and three of them women, and St. Therese is one of them. Thus, after her death, she was able to achieve her intuitive feeling that she would be able to do something great and help save souls. St. Therese was, and I think you probably remember, she said, I will spend my heaven doing good on earth. This article might say it further down, I will spend my heaven doing good on earth. St. Therese was canonized by Pope Pius XI on May 17, 1925, and only 26 years after her death. Pope Francis, who was elected in 2013, has said St. Therese is his favorite saint and keeps a picture of her on his bookcase. Explaining his choice for St. Therese, Pope Francis remarked, quote, Do not be afraid to depend solely on the tenderness of God, as St. Therese of Lisieux did, who for this reason is a beloved daughter of the Blessed Mother and a great missionary saint. Isn't it amazing? She died at 24, never left her bed, and she's patron saint of worldwide missions. The Pope has also remarked, When I have a problem, I ask the saint not to solve it, but to take it in her hands and help me accept it. Um, um, there's so many. It, it goes on to discuss. Um, I'm sorry here for a moment. 
goes on to discuss so many other saints. Um, and uh, um, we'll just take, we have a few minutes left before the break. Uh, let me begin that on um, with her parents on Sunday, October 18th, 2015. Pope Francis presided at Mass in St. Peter's Square, which included the rite of canonization for Saints Zelie and Louis Martin, the saints, the parents of St. Therese. Um, uh, let me see, just her childhood here. Um, Marie-Francois-Therese Martin, in French. Mary France, Francis Martin. Um, Marie-Francois-Therese Martin was born on January 2nd, 1873, and baptized two days later on January 4th. And she says this, quote, All my life, God surrounded me with love. My first memories are imprinted with the most tender smiles and caresses. Those were the sunny years of my childhood, end quote. Thus, Therese, 21 years later, described her home life in France, Alencon, France, quote, My happy disposition she added, with character candor, contributed to making my life pleasing. Um, I tell you, she has changed many bishops, priests, saints of the church by her life. I'm looking through this uh, wonderful website on the uh, littleflower.org if you want to look further on her life. Um, truly, truly wonderful. Um, she was the baby of the family. Let me just see here. Um, let me go to the words of St. Therese. You can always read her life online, but I want to read some of her wonderful words. Um, she had a simple yet powerful message that still resonates in the hearts of millions today. Her letters, autobiography, and other recollections of her life Help us understand her little way and use it in our daily life. And um, here, um, let me just see. Um, hold on now. Um, my goodness. Um, uh, hmm. Let me just see this. I'm looking through her website. Words of St. Therese on the love of God. There is only one thing to do here below, she says, to love Jesus, to win souls for him so that he may be loved. Let us seize with jealous care every least opportunity of self-sacrifice. Let us refuse him nothing. He does so want our love. Love, she says, that is what I ask. I know but one thing now, to love thee, O Jesus. Glorious deeds are not for me. I cannot preach the gospel, shed my blood. What does it matter? My brothers toil instead of me, and I, the little child, I keep quite close to the royal throne. I love for those who fight. She says, how shall I show my love um, is proved, how shall I show 
that my love is proved by deeds. Well, the little child will strew flowers. She will embalm the divine throne with their fragrance, will sing with silvery voice the canticle of love. Yes, my beloved, these are St. Therese's words. Yes, my beloved, it is thus that my life's brief day shall be spent before thee. No other means have I of proving my love than to strew flowers, that is, to let no little sacrifice escape me, not a look, not a word, to avail of the very least actions and do them for love. I wish to suffer for love's sake, and for love's sake even to rejoice. Thus shall I strew flowers. Not one shall I find without shedding its petals for thee. And then I will sing. I will always sing, even if I must gather my roses in the very midst of thorns. And the longer and sharper the thorns, the sweeter shall be my song. Isn't it beautiful, beloved? You know, sometimes someone looks at us with a certain look and it can kill. It absolutely kills us as a knife. They look at us, they have a response. It could be disgust, it could be apathy, it could be anger, it could be disapproval, it could be rejection, whatever it is. And it goes through us and someone might have put, just as well put a knife right through my, our soul, my soul, our soul. But you see the same uh, effect and greater has a look of love. A look of love, which maybe someone doesn't deserve. Maybe someone deserves a a rebuttal or a look of disgust or disapproval. Maybe they've just earned that. But what if they get a look of love? Like our Lord's look to Peter when Peter denied him three times and he ran off and wept. You see... Certain looks can change our lives. And the love of God melts everything else, melts every barrier, melts everything we've done to destroy our souls, our dignity. In the story of the soul, St. Therese said, the good God does did not, does not ye need, let me try that again, the good God does, does not need years to accomplish his work of love in a soul. One ray from his heart can, in an instant, make his flower bloom for eternity. And in a letter to her sister Celine, she wrote, seeing the eternal recompense so disproportionate to the trifling sacrifices of this life, I long to love Jesus, to love him ardently, ardently to give him a thousand proofs of tenderness while yet I could do so. Actually, that comes from Story of a Soul. And in a letter to her sister, Celine, she writes, in times of aridity, that's dryness, when I am incapable of praying, of practicing virtue, I seek little opportunities, mere trifles, to give pleasure to Jesus. For instance, a smile, a pleasant word, when inclined to be silent and to show weariness. If I find no opportunities, I at least tell him again and again that I love him, that it is not difficult, and it keeps alive the fire in my heart. 
even though this fire of love might seem extinct, I would still throw little straws upon the embers, and I am certain it would enkindle. Here's a a quote from a letter to her husband, uh, Marie Guerin. She says, I know of one me she says, I know of one means only by which to attain to perfection. That is love. Let us love, since our heart is made for nothing else. Sometimes I seek another word to express love, but in this land of exile, the word which begins and ends um Uh, says St. Augustine, is quite incapable of rendering the vibrations of the soul. We must then adhere to this simple and only word to love. But on whom shall our poor heart lavish its love? Who shall be found that is great enough to be the recipient of its treasures? Will a human being know how to comprehend them? And above all, Will he be able to repay? There exists but one being capable of comprehending love. It is Jesus. He alone can give us back infinitely more than we shall ever give to him. Beloved, no matter your trial, no matter your stumbling blocks, even St. Francis de Sales said, where there is no love, Put love, and there will be love. That's our job. Not waiting for our spouses to get it straight, to straighten up their lives, to love us so that we could love him. No way. We need to put love where there is no love, and we will find love. And it's love alone that is the tool for changing lives. I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays. And it was an easy excuse. Uh, I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up on that whole selfishness, that whole, you know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I've come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Have you ever felt insignificant or unworthy of God's love? In the Gospel of Matthew, our Lord reminds us that even all of the hairs of our head have been counted. Each and every one of us, at every stage of life, is valuable to the kingdom. Human life is sacred. Think about it. Coalitionforlife.com Confusion on matters of faith and morals is widespread, even within the church. It can be disheartening, with clergy celebrating gay pride masses, the Pope considering allowing women to become priestesses. It is easy to lose sight of the true teachings of the church. LifeSite News Catholic can help. We are a clear, trustworthy news source that is dedicated to the teachings of the church. We, as the laity, have a duty to know and defend our faith and tradition. In order to do so, we must be educated on the teachings of the church and on the truth about current events and developments within the church. Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook and Twitter 
or sign up to receive our emails by going to lifesitenews.com in order to maintain your clarity and peace in the midst of chaos. Live, beloved, I'm thrilled to be with you, and we do have a whole half hour together. I'm going to try to catch up on emails only during this half hour, beloved, so I won't invite you to call in today. There's so many that we haven't been able to get to. Um, And this is on Facebook from Greg, who writes, I have been living with an addiction for many years. I am clean right now for several years, but it is still a difficult rehabilitation Other issues crop up when overcoming a bad addiction. I find myself unable to avoid other sinful actions. When I tried to confess some of these sins the other day, the priest told me that my will was unable to overcome those temptations partially due to my addiction. Because of this, he said, I am less culpable for those actions. Still culpable and I still need to confess them, but not as culpable. I wonder what your thoughts are, Mother. I agree with your priest, dear one. Um, I don't agree that you're unable to overcome those temptations because God's grace is sufficient, so I would not uh, uh, absorb that message that you are unable to overcome those temptations, and there's just no way. Uh, that you're not able to with God's grace. I do believe that God alone knows our culpability. Someone with a history of addiction is not going to be dealt with as strictly as someone who does not have that uh, weakness, to use a weak word, behind them. So... um, just as a person who, if I take a real extreme example, a person who is judged insane is not going to be as inculpable for pulling a trigger as somebody who's not insane and has just gone into a rage of anger. So yes, our culpability before God differs, and God alone knows our, capabil- our culpability. But don't accept that it's impossible. Um, accept that it's possible. God's grace is absolutely sufficient, absolutely sufficient. And so um, I, would, I would urge you, dear Greg, uh, don't give up. Still confess those sins on a, you know, no less than a monthly basis for sure, I would say. But there's no shoulds. The church doesn't uh, require that you do that. I would suggest it. And I would suggest weekly, if you struggle weekly, um, But I would see if you could get a very good holy priest for a spiritual director, somebody who will be um, very holy and not be afraid to give you some hard counseling and exercises to to overcome this and to fight the enemy uh, within you. I would do that within and without, dear one. Not to worry about anything, because that would be the enemy's strategy if you worry, but to accept that God alone knows your accountability, but it's absolutely possible for you to overcome this and the other issues that are the fruit of that addiction. Uh, 
we have a, uh, a question from Grace on Facebook, and she says, My priest has started to talk in between various parts of the Mass, almost to explain what is going on to the congregation. It's, um, it started as not that distracting, but recently he broke into the Eucharistic prayers to explain that the Twelve Apostles and Jesus were having a quote-unquote family dinner. Oh, shame. It was not a family dinner. Having a family dinner at the First Eucharist. He said it is encouraging that Jesus did as we do, and it's nice to know that familiar love is not left out of the liturgy. He also mentioned that that's why the altar is also a family dinner table. I see what he's trying to say, but I'm unsure of how to formulate my disagreement with him along these things. Can you help me? Well, oh dear, I don't have canon law in my fingertips, but you also, dear one, Grace, can go to the GIRM, G-I-R-M, the General Instruction for the Roman Missal, and it will give you the rubrics of the Mass. The Mass is no, no place... The liturgy is no place to break in with teaching, especially the little liturgy and the prayers of the Eucharist. That is no place to break in with teaching. Um, the Eucharist is the Passover. It's the last Passover of the Old Covenant and the first Passover of the New Covenant, which is the Mass. It's a sacrificial dinner. It's just not a family gathering. It's a fa- sacrificial dinner. Um and uh, my goodness, um, it, the place for him to teach the Mass and to do that is the homily, not during the Mass. So you can look up, again, the rubrics, uh, the general instruction of the Roman Missal, and show that to the priest. Um, if you have trouble, I have no uh, uh, issue directing you directly to Catholic Answers, catholic.com and speak to an apologist, and they will help you. We have another question from Lindsay, who says, In the Bible, Elijah the prophet was taken to heaven, body and soul, on a chariot of fire. It was my understanding that he and Mary were the only two people, other than Christ himself, who are united body and soul in heaven right now. Someone recently told me that Moses is too. Is this true? Also, they said, there are others as well. If that is true, who are they? Well, um, Mary was taken to heaven, but the church does not speak definitively on whether or not she died. She was assumed into heaven, but whether or not she died first is... Um, a matter of, of discussion, although I, I do believe that the majority of evidence points to her having died um, and then been taken uh, immediately into heaven because she was without sin. So yes, she's re- united with God. Elijah the prophet was also taken to heaven. Moses was not. Moses was died and was buried by God. And the book of Deuteronomy will tell you that he sinned um, 
in striking the rock without. The first time, it was with God's direction, and water came from the rock. The second time was his personal pride, and he did it without God's leading, and he dishonored God. And for that reason, God did not allow him to see the promised land. And he was killed, and God uh, put him to death, and God buried him. So nobody knows the burial place of Moses. But there was another uh, before Elijah that was taken to heaven, and that was Enoch, um, uh, the father of Methuselah. And Enoch uh, was taken to heaven because the book of Hebrews chapter 11 says that he walked with God, meaning that he pleased God. So it was Enoch and Elijah, the two that were taken to heaven in the Old Testament without seeing death, and then Mary in the new, immediately assumed into heaven following her death of the Dormition. Um, And those we know are united to God in heaven, um, um, body and soul. Okay, God bless you, and we'll be back right after this break. Beloved, email with anything on your heart at mother at the station of the cross.com. We're not open this half hour uh, to take your calls, beloved. This is a pre recorded program, absolutely fresh, absolutely new for you, but I am traveling today, and so we pre recorded it. We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, and we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustained Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustained life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. Every sound structure requires a blueprint master plan, and the human body is no different. This master plan resides in our DNA, which provides instructions for the development of the entire body. You are unique and different from any other individual that is existing or has ever existed. Human life is sacred. Think about it. Coalitionforlife.com The Station of the Cross invites you to join us each day for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The Liturgy of the Hours is the daily prayer of the Church and is made up of readings from sacred scripture, writings from saints and theologians, and small reflections. For details about each hour and more information about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. We hope you'll join us for this daily prayer of the Church each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on The Station of the Cross. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. I mentioned just before the break that this is a pre-recorded program for you today. Um, 
Actually, I, I said I'm traveling and I'm not, but I pre-recorded this program for you. And so we won't be able to take your live calls today, but we will continue with your emails without any question, whether you send them in directly to um, uh, the Station of the Cross, mother at thestationofthecross.com, or if you put them on Facebook, we will pick them up. The Station of the Cross has been very, very wonderful to pick up your questions from Facebook and um, we're able to answer them and live stream them on Facebook and LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross Facebook page as well. So God bless you. And we just had a wonderful note here from Elijah, who's the engineer on the other side of the Station of the Cross. And he listened to my uh, response to Greg, Greg, who uh, had been living with an addiction for many years and has been clean for several years, but it's been a difficult rehabilitation. And the priest told him that some sins that he commits as a result of that addiction, even though he's free from the addiction himself, but not all the sins surrounding it, that, um, that he will be less culpable for that because of his past addiction. Um, and uh, I agreed with that priest, of course, not because it's impossible to overcome those temptations by the grace of God, but yes, that God holds us accountable according to what he understands of our soul. And the the story Elijah gave us, he said there's a a cool story, he said, about St. Therese that works well with Greg's question about culpability. He says one day she noticed a sewing pin on the floor, and did not pick it up right away. She was overwhelmed with guilt and ended up going back to pick it up because her conscience was so well-formed. Now listen to the conclusion on this one. Most people would probably say, well, that's very nice, but she's scrupulous. That's not the answer. The end of the story says she was more culpable for that small offense than the average person would be because of her holiness, because of her holiness. You see, that's not scrupulosity. It could be on the part of some, on the part of St. Therese, who was had a degree of holiness that most of us don't have. She would have been culpable for that. You see, to whom much is given, much is required. That's our Lord's statement on that. Okay. We have a question from Andrea on the Facebook page, and it says, Hello, can you help me? My Catholic son is marrying a non-Catholic girl. The girl's uncle is a minister at a Christian church, and her parents are insisting that he marries them outside the church, that her uncle marry them outside the church. What should I do? Well, the thing to do is to tell your son and show him in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 6, I have to look it up for sure, that God does not want us to be unequally yoked. For your Catholic son to marry a non-Catholic Christian is to be unequally yoked. He will be, um, number one, if he marries outside the church without a special dispensation from the bishop, he'd have to have a special dispensation. And if not, he will be living in mortal sin and fornication. Um, If he denies his Catholic faith, then he needs to go to the bishop and reject the Catholic Church. And then he's a pagan, and he can do what he wants. But if he claims to be Catholic, 
um, then he must get a dispensation to marry outside the Catholic Church and to raise his children Catholic. And I can assure him that um, if the girl's parents are adamant about his not marrying in the Catholic Church, they are not going to be happy about his raising children, his children Catholic, and neither will his wife. And if the wife is not together with the husband, the children will not be raised Catholic. And if the husband, who is Catholic, allows his children to be raised in a Protestant home, he is committing sin and breaking his vow to God. He is Catholic, and he has only one obligation, that is to marry within the church and to raise his children Catholic. Anything other than that will be sin, and he will be accountable for it. Unless, again, he could care less that he's not really Catholic in his heart. He needs to uh, acknowledge that. He needs to reject Christ and the church. I think, Andrea, you need to tell your son all of that and let him make his decision and let him know that he, if he marries outside the church, he is in mortal sin if there's no dispensation from the bishop. And um, he may not receive the Eucharist until he is once again reunited with the church. He may not receive communion. Um, he should not marry that woman. He should not. Uh, we have a question on Facebook from Bella, and she says, Mother Miriam, thank you so much for your beautiful new program. I am a new listener also. I wanted to comment that I was taught that all Catholics had to make their Easter, quote, Easter duty, unquote, every year. This meant that we had to go to confession and communion at least once a year, preferably during the Easter period, no matter if we had mortal sin or not, and that we do not, and that not to do so was a mortal sin. Is this your understanding? Thank you, Bella. Bella, I said in a previous program that used to be the case. I believe, and God help me, I don't want to lead anyone astray, so you need to look it up in canon law. Um, I believe it was the case, but I believe that the current situation is that we are required to go to do our so-called, quote-unquote, Easter duty once a year only for mortal sin. Only, no one can receive the Eucharist if you're on mortal sin. So to receive it during Easter... If you're in mortal sin, you must go to confession so that you can receive communion. Um, If you're not in mortal sin, you're able to receive communion. So my understanding is that currently uh, the Easter duty does not apply if one is not in mortal sin. I, I pray to God that I'm not wrong. This came up on a previous program and we found the spot in canon law that what I'm saying is correct, uh, that it's changed from the past, and there's no longer that Easter duty except for mortal sin. Um, We have a question on Facebook from Carol who says, what are your thoughts on this question I have? Is it better to pray frequently and ask for special intentions as much as possible? Or is it better to pray and ask only once and know that God hears you? No. Frequently is great. Frequently is great and know that God hears you. A baby 
uh, the first time she says, Mommy, you hear her, but she may have to say Mommy five times for some reason before you answer her. Maybe you're in the middle of something. Maybe you're on the phone with something urgent. Maybe you already know uh, the vo- the Mommy voice that she she she's not in danger. She's not in trouble. She just wants to know you're there, whatever it is. So she'll say it 10 times. And you've heard her all 10 times, you see. If she just says mommy once and you don't hear from her again, you're going to worry if this little three-year-old or two-year-old mommy and then you don't hear from her, you're going to worry that she might be in trouble. So no, no, both. You ask your petitions as many times as you want, trusting that God hears you every single time. You're expressing the heart of a child. Can I go, Mom? Can I go? Please, can I go? This is a child. This is fine. This is absolutely fine. But don't base God's love or his ability and willingness to hear you or his decisions uh, on God's character. He's loving, he's perfect, and he will answer every one of our cries according to his love and perfect will for us. We have another Facebook question from Denise who says, Hello, Mother Miriam. You've said a few times from your show that parents will be judged for their children's poor education in the faith. This weighs heavy on my heart, as I know I've fallen short by relying on the K-6 through Catholic school systems in our rural area and then the Wednesday night classes up through high school. I'm a 46-year-old cradle Catholic, who graduated, went out into the world not realizing my own education was so poor. Now my question is, where in the Bible does it say we will be judged for our children? I do recall reading a verse, and it goes something like this, people will perish by their lack of knowledge. That's true. Was this what you are referring to? Absolutely not. Um, she says, my next question is, what do we do now that our children are grown and out of our care? Do you have recourse? Re- she, recourses, probably she means resources that we can share with them. I don't want to fail my children or God. Okay, now, when you say, where in the Bible does it say Um, You sound like a Protestant because the church wrote the Bible, but everything that the church wrote and everything Christ taught, as the Bible says, is not in the Bible. And the church that gave us the Bible um, has um, um, oh wow um, has Uh, told us that parents have the responsibility um, of um, raising their children in the faith. Hold on. Okay, hold on a second. Let me see if I can... um, Let me see if I can... uh, Uh, This one, Proverbs uh, 22, says, Train up a child in the way we should go, and way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And you know, when that was written, there were no schools, beloved. This is God's instructions to Israel. And in the Ephesians chapter 6, in the New Testament, says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline 
and instruction of the Lord. Does that mean don't send them to public school? It does not. It means that you are responsible for their discipline and instruction in the faith. Uh, Proverbs says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Again, it says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this follows um, the cry of the Jewish Jewish heart, beloved, which is Deuteronomy chapter 4, Shema Yisrael, uh, hear, O Lord, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it says, you shall teach uh, them, you should write the, the, the laws of the, your, um, the, the laws on your foreheads and your heart, wear them on your sleeve, all of that. That's what the, the phylacteries of the Jewish people. And says in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently. This is the faith. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Again, Proverbs says, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Fathers, Colossians, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Proverbs, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give you the light of your heart. Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. Um, It goes on and on and on and on. Um... Uh, on the discipline and nurturing children in the faith. Absolutely. Uh, We're going to run out of time if I continue on with these verses. Denise, um, you are responsible. The Bible says so. The church that wrote the Bible says so are responsible for your children. Uh, Now, you haven't. What do you do? You're a 46-year-old cradle Catholic. You graduated. You went out in the world and your own education was poor, and uh, you say, now my question is, where in the Bible does it say we'll be judged for our children? Well, I just read you a whole slew of verses. I do recall reading a verse, and it goes something like, people will perish by their lack of knowledge. That's, I think that's Hosea chapter 6. Um, but I wasn't referring to that, but yes. She says, my next question is, what do we do now that our children are grown out of our care? Do you have resources we could share with them? Yes, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I sure don't want to fail my children or God. Go to them. Apologize to them. Tell them that you wanted to raise them Catholic, but you weren't truly taught the faith yourself, and you are you apologize for their poor upbringing, and now that God has brought you more deeply into the faith, you want to do whatever you can to help them to know not just your failing, but God's love and his truth. Buy them each a catechism of the Catholic Church. Tell them that this is simply a devotional book, and all they need to do is come together as a couple or a family and read a paragraph a night, and they will learn the faith. God bless you, beloved, and we will be with you tomorrow. God bless you, and live the faith as if it's true, because it is, beloved.
and because there is a heaven and there is a hell, and I want to meet you in heaven. God bless you.